0: Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening.
1: Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today we have an expert in all things entrepreneurship and workforce planning, the lovely Wendy Perry on the show. Wendy is the Managing Director of Workforce Blueprint and an Entrepreneur Facilitator for Adelaide's West Switch Start Scale. Wendy is an entrepreneur herself with her work doing business all over the world. Further to this, she is also an author, an educator, an explorer, an innovator, a mentor and speaker on entrepreneurship and innovation. Wendy is also a renowned expert in workforce planning and development, vocational education and training, international capability and capacity development. Wendy is living a life of purpose, working to her strengths in mentoring and facilitation, where she works alongside entrepreneurs, founders, individuals, organisations, startups, scale ups, students, and unicorn companies. On top of this, Wendy is strongly aligned to other business interests and partnerships, which include Australia Butana Ventures, Blue Poppy Ventures, and Big Kid Ventures. So in this episode, Wendy shares her insights into her career journey, to the world where she finds herself today, her description of an entrepreneurial mindset, and her approach to scaling business globally, with tips on where to start, what countries to look for, and a typical approach to take. We also discussed how to improve productivity and get stuff done, which is a very important topic, and how she manages her busy schedule. We talked about workforce strategy and why it's important what the future of work looks like, and to finish up, Wendy shared with us her meaning of a personal hashtag, hashtag humble hustle. If you love the episode, which I know you will, be sure to hit subscribe button and check us out at SynergyIQ.com.au and SynergyIQ on all the social media outlets. Cheers. Excellent. So welcome Back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host, and today we have the wonderful Wendy Perry on the show. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show, there Wendy.
0: Is. It's nice to be called Wonderful too.
1: It's great. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, just the WW, the double dot. You've yeah. got to do it. What's your, what's
0: your D? What's in front of your <laughs> name? Uh, delightful. Delightful, Dan.
1: delightful Daniel. Yeah, yeah that, <laughs> that will work. So expert coach, facilitator, keynote All the above, expert in entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. uh, workforce planning, uh, 20-odd thousand followers on LinkedIn, so a very large following, work all around Mm -hmm. the world. Yep. Who who is Wendy Perry and how did you uh, get to where you are today?
0: Yeah, I guess um, sort of from a core belief point of view, I want to support other people to do well. And the angle that I most appreciate or enjoy supporting people with is their own business or their own kind of enterprise or pursuits. Um, doing something that you kind of care about or that you're passionate about, that you can make money from, that you can kind of explore the world if you want to. Um, that's what I love to see people kind of do, um, you know, having their own economic independence mm. um, and developing themselves is really important. So uh, that's sort of a core belief or philosophy and it's sort of been through my whole career I guess from the beginning too. So, i have had different job roles, different businesses,
1: and we
0: can delve into that if you like. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And look, yeah. first and foremost, thank you for uh, offering and, and and growing people in this area. It's obviously a very important world. Entre- the world wouldn't yeah. be, or the business world wouldn't be where we are, if it wasn't for entrepreneurs. So, yeah. the work you're doing in, in working with them, specifically in their mindset, mm-hmm. is uh yeah. Thank you and kudos to you. Yeah, so awesome. yeah, let's let's dive into a little bit of. Of your background, yeah, you know where did you come from, and and, and how did yeah. you get to where you are today?
0: Pretty humble kind of roots, really. And the very first job that I had was um, as a trainee, and so um, that was in government, in business administration kind of role. But um, alongside entrepreneurship and economic development, it's kind of like a series of E's. So like education and employment is is really. Um, a focus working with people too and I truly believe in people developing developing themselves you know all through their lives but um, I had that experience you know when I was in my late teens and um, you know you're green back then you don't know any other Mm. difference so I used to (laughs) go and have meetings with people who were managers and leaders and you know suggest ideas and all sorts (laughs) of things Um, and I sort of finished that uh, quite early, you know, compared to how long it normally takes people to do that kind of length of course. And I remember calling a meeting with the woman who was leading the training area at the TAFE Institute. Um, and I said, I want to train in this. I want to help other, you know, young people and trainees and so on. Yep. So, um, I, you know, you look back at it and you go, it's pretty cheeky now. Yeah. But hey, you know, why not? It sort of um, set the scene. And
1: If you Uh, don't ask, you don't get really.
0: Yeah. So I had a couple of promotions there and then I thought I wanted something a little bit different. So um, I was uh, doing a little bit of casual teaching at the time. Mm -hmm. So more like adults um, sort of context rather than schools. And I worked for Telstra for a while in the contact centre kind of industry, which came back a little bit later, which we'll touch on at the moment. Um, My husband and I, we were married quite young. We were married when we were 20. So we already had one daughter and then we had a second one when we were only 21. So we were like, he was like the apprentice and I was like the trainee and then (laughs) over time we both built businesses. But um, I started doing a bit more teaching casually and then I was about 25 and I was offered a role as educational manager in TAFE SA. And I'd had other roles working in private training organisations and things like that too. So um, that was like an unbelievable education because... The role that I had was in business development and, you know, education is a very particular market Mm -hmm. and one day I'd go out to see the automotive guys and the next day aged care, the next day viticulture, um, you know, all of these different industry sectors sectors, and you'd never be able to, you know, get that kind of learning Mm. without being fully immersed and that was around fee for service, apprenticeships, traineeships, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um the, the, and the BD world, I guess you're always uh, researching the industry. So you're learning from your own perspective but then also hearing them speak and, and learn.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I was the youngest manager ever in TAFE SA and I would go out with colleagues from different industry sectors like hospitality people. We'd go down to McLaren Vale, meet restaurateurs or whatever. Um, but often I would find myself you know taking a bit of a lead because they weren't sure about how to have those conversations about what the workforce needs were mm. and I remember we'd drive down in the car if we were going to McLaren Vale or somewhere and we'd talk about how we're going to have the chat um, because until you get into a situation and then you see it kind of play out and then you're like oh we shouldn't have done it like that mm. so you do a little bit of prep um, and often these experienced people you know have got all these years in the industry but they don't have this other sort of component um, and I remember kicking a few people under the table or whatever but they would normally <laughs> let me you know kind of take the intro and to find out about you know basically ask questions where was that employer at what were they trying to do yeah. how many people worked for them so um, you know putting them as the star of the show if you mm. like and being really curious about that business so um, that was probably the early sort of side of that strategic workforce planning and development mm. um, kind of experience that grew too. How
1: yeah. did you did you uh, did it just naturally come to you? Did you do a bit of study in that space? Where, like where did this learning about workforce planning come uh, and, and did it come easily to you or did you have to work and learn and strategize for it?
0: Um, it was a real mix of things. Mm. So, you know, I definitely believe in practical on-the-job immersion and things like that of like, well, how did you know mm. what to do? I, I did also do a Master's of Education okay. um, early in my 20s, which had an adult learning sort of focus and leadership and management programmes um, as well. Um but I think that role that I had sort of set the scene because basically where else would you get experience working across literally every industry sector yeah. that there is? But the thing about it is that there's so much commonality. Mm. Um, so whilst I was at TAFE, I was also asked to do some work with what was called an industry training advisory board back then. And so that wasn't just looking at organisation by organisation. That was looking at whole industry sectors. Um, and there was this thing called Business Vision 2010. You might be a little bit too young to remember um, it. Uh, yeah. But it was… Depends, um, it
1: depends on the year but I don't remember it so maybe I… <laughs> no, I, <mean. laughs> I think you're a bit too younger.
0: So it was like um, a state government, was liberal government at the time and yeah. it was a state government policy and they would pick up key priorities that they wanted to put in place by the year 2010. Okay. And one of the priorities was women into the IT industry. Oh, yes. yeah. So I was seconded across to do that particular project. Um, And we would do quarterly updates, you know, at the festival centre or convention Mm centre. There'd be all these different business industry employers there. Mm -hmm. You had like ambassadors that were attached to these different projects and um, committee groups. So the kind of level of networking that you were exposed to was really great and the support. Um, So I think, you know, employer industry-based, having that education context and then seeing that industry kind of level and seeing that broader kind of government policy Perspective and the interconnections of those projects was a really great grounding for it.
1: Hmm. Brilliant. So from there you've yep. decided that uh, you want to go out and start your own? I mean, it, uh, There's
0: one more role before One more that. role? One more role. So um, I was asked to come across and join the policy team working for the Department of Education, oh, yes. yep. Yep. which was um, looking at employer mm-hmm. kind of connections into this time, you know, mostly high school. Um, vocational education training and SACE and um, which is the South Australian Certificate of Education Mm -hmm. so um, but I only did that for a year or two then we had um, election time and because that team was the one that implemented policy they really weren't sure what was going to happen with that group so they kind of said like if there's something else that you want to pursue we were open to it and I had all these people saying oh can you do this project can you work for us on this can you consult on this and like well I can't because I'm Full time, and you know I'm working in government, but um I was able to negotiate two days and three days a week
2: okay. for three
0: months, Excellent. and then I'm like, right, that's it, I'm quitting. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: I knew I'd be fine, you know, because yeah. I had just work, had, had work rolling coming, in. Yeah.
1: yeah. What at what point uh, in your in your journey did you like? Is it at the only time that you thought actually I could go out and start my own gig here was when? Uh, you were faced with the impending potential loss of your job or did you have this sort of building in the background and, and thinking do I actually want to work for someone forever? Yeah,
0: definitely building in the background. And I, my mindset wasn't like it wasn't the conversation, are oh, you going to lose your job. It just might be they'll have a different focus maybe yeah, or whatever. Okay. So the job would still be there but I'm like, in some respects, the higher you kind of get up in some of these bureaucracies, the less independence and freedom you have. Mm. And that doesn't suit me at all. Mm. So um, from...
1: bit of red tape.
0: bit of, well, I just, you know, I prefer to have variety, yeah. make suggestions, implement things and not get permission from, yeah. <laughs> have to get permission yeah. from other people. Uh, I when I feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I did have that role in TAFE, say, and even before that, when I was in contact centres, like that's selling, right? Yeah. With that role at TAFE, um, they only had a few hundred thousand dollars worth of business coming in with traineeships and apprenticeships and um, some fee for service. And in like six months, I took it to a couple of million. So I kind of knew that I could do that. So mm-hmm. I always had, you know, you might describe it as an entrepreneurial streak. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if I can do this for them, and which is kind of like a bit of a hard slog, to be honest, yeah. in terms of what you're selling and marketing and, you know, you're still working within a, you know, government sort of agency. Yeah. Um, then surely I can do it for myself. Mm. So
1: that's and, and, why I had the
0: confidence, I guess. And,
1: and and so when you did move out, you had some work coming in. Yeah. Were well, you hit pretty quickly with the, the world of, of business in, in the sense mm. of, um, the, you know, when you start out in your own business and I, I've been through it and I know mm. many people have been through it and that first couple of years, it's oh maybe I'm not cut out for this sort of stuff. How mm. did you work on your mindset and, and you know, obviously... The ups and downs that business can can bring, the, the yeah. constant hustle that it might throw at you. Yeah, how did you manage yourself in that space?
0: I reckon I didn't really have those sorts of feelings until much later. So okay. um, at this time, this is twenty years ago, right? Yeah. I am twenty-eight, yeah, and confident as you yeah. know. Um, and I sent out a, <laughs> a letter, your World Joister, and you don't know much better, you know. You kind of just do what you think
2: mm.
0: you can, and kind of being a bit green and not exactly cheeky, but. You know, um being positive, suggesting things, reaching out to people kind of gets you far. And I remember I sent a letter, right? So that's what we did back in the day <laughs> to thirty people. You went
1: Through by a dove or is that like that, <laughs> <laughs> <Not> that old <laughs> Jesus. Um I'm
0: Posted staring. this letter to all these connections that I had because I you know, mm. I did have decent networks yeah. for yeah, yeah. for somebody, you know, going out, but I sent this letter out and um, from that got a number of jobs. One contract I got was um, with a national program that was basically in a particular industry sector working on their workforce. Yeah. And it happened to be based here in Adelaide, which was unusual. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had that contract kind of like as a backbone, a couple of days a week. It ended up being for eight or nine years. So in that role I... um, coached and mentored a couple of hundred projects that people would apply for funding and then and it was all from around the country and it was a real variety of different um, areas and then you'd be assigned a certain allocation mm-hmm. of projects to coach and mentor. Um, and because of the kind of marketing and, and BD background, I also managed the national conference and literally did all that marketing. So it was with that obviously I had that context of that organisation's yep. hat on. But that can't help but extend your networks and oh, build doubt. your personal brand and, you know, you fly around the country all the time. Um, I used to fly, you know, a couple of times a month or something yeah. like that at this time. So um, that then, when you say about the workforce planning and development experience, at this time I was more focused on the education sector actually. Yeah. So that then though put me into the context of again looking inside all these different regions, locations, industry sectors, you know, tiny employers up to massive multinationals. So it was a great kind of education that you
2: yeah
1: that you got. Mm. What were the typical ups and downs that you used to face uh though? I mean, we were, were yeah. you always if you're securing nine uh, nine eight or nine year contracts, yeah. It's less down downtime in that space and more about just the constant workload that well, you have to manage through?
0: Well, I didn't know that it was at eight or nine year oh, okay. at the time. It was just like a year on year thing. Oh, I
1: see. So okay.
0: there's always still the thing of filling the pipeline. And then you've got other time, mm. right? So, um, of course, you've got to still attract um, projects and whatever. And um, the other personal challenges were, were more about the travel mm. and the kind of time commitment and managing a family, in managing a young family. you
1: have
0: two girls? Well, so. Yeah, two daughters. So, um, you know, what were they at the time? That was sort of like under 10, I guess. Mm. Um, and my husband Scott's had his own business too. So what's he do? So he runs a building construction company, he's originally yeah. a plumber, um, okay. and mechanical services and he's had a brewery and other sorts of interests and um property and stuff over the years too. So your yeah.
1: children have no choice but to be entrepreneurs. The well, <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> eldest
0: one, I was like, I definitely do not want to be entrepreneurial. <laughs> so um, she worked more for other people but still worked more for entrepreneurs, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Uh, she worked for the university too and then um, now she has her own side hustle business as well <laughs> as her main business. Our youngest daughter, she started working in my company from when she was 16. I mean, officially,
2: because,
1: yeah, you yeah. know,
0: when they were kids, they were... Yeah. Do just, tasks yeah, yeah. and things, and come to comfortable. Do business. the
1: filing. That's it.
0: Um, stuff the envelopes, or whatever, <laughs> whatever it might be. Uh, so she started as a school-based apprentice in our business, and she didn't like the way that career education was delivered um, at her school. Mm-hmm. So she started a business to basically address that.
1: Um, so they're entrepreneurs. So what are their names? Yeah.
0: So Amy, name. Amy, and Jess. Actually. Yeah, and we have son-in-laws as well.
1: Ah, oh, beautiful. We have
0: Dan and Tyler. So not like grandparents yes. No, but you know, probably on the on the horizon, yeah, right. pretty soon. Excellent.
1: Yeah. Must be very proud. Very proud. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in. You talked about you f- flying a lot, and you and I yeah. have talked offline about starting a business. And we'll get into mm. the entrepreneurial mindset and 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 what that looks like. But yep. when starting a business, yeah, it is a common thought process of. Need a product, need something to sell, need a service, not something that you know people would buy and pay money for, right? Yeah. Uh, we always look locally. We always look who who around us can buy and how do we mm. and how does that work? Yeah. It, it seems to me, and just through your your mindset that you've not got those sort of blinkers on mm-hmm. in the sense that you're looking globally, uh, yeah. which you are. You are working on a on a global scale. Mm-hmm. Can we I really want to unpack the thought process and even maybe the procedures around what that looks like. Do we start locally, then we go in, interstate, and then we go globally, or do you just go straight? Like, what are or, or is there no method? Or what 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 do you suggest for anyone that yeah. is looking at starting something which could potentially grow? You know, yeah, you got the the Toby Pierce's of the world who's gone out and built this app that's just gone mm. international straight away and sure. obviously in the news from selling for a couple hundred million or if not more, yeah. Um, Yeah, just interested in your thought process.
0: Yeah. There's a couple of things that boils back down to. So as a foundation sort of point, and I guess I see this a lot as the entrepreneurship facilitator for Adelaide, like I'll meet with 15 or 20 people a week and they'll kind of share with me what their ideas might be for a potential business. And it could be an idea or it could be up and running. It's kind of like, okay, yes, we still boil it back down to what's the problem that you're solving, um, what's the minimum viable product or service that you've developed, because some people take a long time to do that and then they, they think that they have to test it in very complex ways, mm. you know, and they don't necessarily take on board feedback or they get feedback from people who are not even relevant. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think you when definitely… When you say they're not
1: relevant, are you meaning they're not their end user? They're not the client? They're, they're never the going to buy from you. Yeah. Do yeah. you know what I mean? They're
0: never going to buy from you. And even there might be some people who are, see themselves in a mentoring or coaching role. But they're never your customer. They've not been in your shoes. They don't know this industry specifically. Yeah. So you've got to be really discerning um, about the actual evidence that you use and it's will people really put money, you know, pay yeah. for it. Are they going to pay for this thing? Um, and not just in a sympathy nice way because they are your friend or family, yeah. you know. So, so that's, actually,
1: getting outside of your comfort zone and seeking people who are going to give you some pretty constructive feedback. Yeah,
0: and you know, you've got to really do that through networking and yeah. building up relationships. So, I think it is important that you do have like a local base. You've got to have a track record somehow. Mm. Um, but you know, South Australian market's tiny. You know, even Australian market's very small with 25 million mm. people. Right? Sometimes it can actually be easier, depending upon what it is that you're selling, to sell interstate. Mm. Because um, here in Adelaide, like we were in, uh, our strength is how collaborative and network we are. Yeah. But sometimes that can be a bit tricky. That's a very
1: relationship-driven. Yeah. One of the old saying is, if you can do a business in South Australia, you can do business anywhere. Yeah, for sure. Why? Why is that though? Why is it so easy? Why is it that we can go on interstate, knock on a door, mm. and pretty much get a meeting, as opposed mm. to here, you have to be mates or get introduced with someone. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I guess there's a couple of things. I mean, we are small, we are very well networked from a business industry entrepreneurial point of view. People um, have perspectives or views, right or wrong, about somebody's level of experience or capability or capacity Mm -hmm. and that might be outdated now, even though the person's sort of grown and developed beyond that. But, you know, we all think about, oh, well, I know this person about, you know, they're at this level and they do this sort of thing. Yeah. now it's easy, much easier to get meetings and things into state. But when I first started the company, it wasn't that easy mm. because it was like you were from Adelaide, South Australia. Yeah. Hmm, but you're not from Sydney or Melbourne, or do you know what I mean? Mm. That's changed over time, and I think part of it is kind of related to our state branding. Like now, many people are envious of our lifestyle and potentially yeah. want to live here or holiday here or whatever. And we've seen more examples of innovative organisations and products and things come out of SA. So Mm -hmm. we've sort of levelled up. Um, If you can kind of grab that common ground, so you've always got to get some sort of hook or reason as to why you're reaching out to someone. You're not just going to do it randomly, you know. So maybe you've got a connection in common that can see something collaborative that you can work Mm -hmm. on or you've been following them on social media or LinkedIn and you can see they're interested in something in particular. Mm -hmm. So from a... um, lead gen or business development point of view or trying to build a relationship, you have to have some sort of connection or foundation. Um, Internationally, we can talk about that, I guess, in a sec. Yeah,
1: yeah. I just wanted Um, to touch on that when you saw that reaching out for a hook or a reason or introduction. Yeah. Uh, One thing I would like to point out and uh, people often uh, come to me and even just being working in, in, you know, the business growth aspect of of, of my business, um, reaching out once is not necessarily – I would say 90% of the time reaching out once like with one Mm. email or one LinkedIn message or one phone call or one text message, whatever it might be, Mm. isn't going to get you anywhere. It's constant. And they say that the statistics are it takes almost eight to nine times to actually get in touch Mm. with someone. I would say uh, by my experience, um, most people are too busy to read the first one. So you email two, three, four times, whatever it is, follow up with a phone call. I've seen and just purely – uh, been thanked for reaching out two or three times purely mm. from the other person going, sorry I missed your first one, but yeah, I really wanted to connect with you, whatever it might be. Yeah. So I think the key point in that is don't just stop at the first email mm. if you don't get a response. Yeah. It's not yeah. over. You can you should keep pursuing.
0: We've got to balance that because you can't be a pest. But I'm know yeah. I know that's not yeah. what you mean. But yeah. you've got to be genuine and Correct. you've got to have a real reason that you're adding value. Like if somebody you know connects with me on LinkedIn and they inbox a message straight away like delete yeah you know if it's not kind of customized or personalized if they've not thought through why would we even connect or potentially do business and even yesterday i had a guy like call me oh you know i just you know looked at your linkedin profile i'm like yeah
1: block his number you know what i mean like
0: it's it's not good practice at all
1: I'm glad I got through. <laughs>
2: yeah, you're all good.
0: You're all good.
1: <laughs> so internationally then. Okay, so, yeah. we, so we go into state. So what yeah. All right. I'm a, I'm a business in South Australia. I've started mm. up. I'm doing pretty well. I want to move into state. Well, not move into state, but I want to I wanna grow my business into state. Yeah. What do I do? Where do I start?
0: Yeah. So I guess um the easiest way. I think in the sort of business that you have and obviously it depends upon the context is yeah, think yeah. down more. let's like, say
1: generically. It doesn't need yeah, to necessarily be. but
0: you can't have a scattergun approach either and you've got limited time, money and resources and so you've got to sort of hone in, okay, where might the best connection or fit be? Mm-hmm. Is that down an industry kind of line in terms of thinking about a bit of a segment? Or is that more about some sort of location or region? Mm-hmm. Or is it more about the kind of profession that the person has? Like they might be a HR manager or a CEO or whatever. So then you think So
1: really betting down your strategy. And what, yeah, what and like I
0: mean. your target market and yeah. like prioritising that. But then you think through where are they hanging out? So are they members of a peak body or a professional association or are they connected to each other in some way, shape or form? Um, And I always have this sort of rule about um, like four for one. So it sort of plays in here but it plays into other things. It's like can you kind of like do things once and get four times the return? Can you reach out to an industry association, for example, maybe be a speaker or offer to do something and then get that whole database, you know, connected into what or aware of what you're doing?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, So, you know, conferences used to be a great way to do it. That's much trickier now. Um, but events, you know, are still as a strategy is a good good way to kind of like go. Uh, but I always think through if you're going to go interstate or potentially think about scaling up your business, then you need some other aligned partners that are also trying to do something similar to you. Mm-hmm. So a membership organisation could be because they want to add value. Yep. Or maybe there's another company or a couple where you've got that same target market in common Um, and you're offering different things and you can somehow leverage each other's databases Mm -hmm. and connections.
1: Um, Excellent. So do you need to fly though? Do you need to get over there and get in amongst it? Like Like if you
0: asked me two years ago, I would have said for sure. (laughs) You know what I mean? Now, I mean. You can Zoom? Well, it's it's trickier. I mean obviously you can speak at online events and things like that and you can have meetings. Um, If you are, say, looking at peak bodies or professional associations – you know, they've all had to adapt and they're all trying to still add value around why be a member of this association. So that now gives you an opportunity to offer something or leverage something if you know what they need. Um, The other thing that I found, which is sort of a, it's not counterintuitive, but um, through the pandemic and lockdowns, like I've reached out to people in Canada and the UK and the US who I would never, ever normally, like, you know, they're like, authors or yeah. massive you know leaders in a certain field or whatever hey would you come on and do a webinar or you know do a live chat or whatever and, and they agree to my yeah. amazement and normally they would have cost like 20 30 grand if you yeah. tried to pay them to come to you know an event or whatever so it's kind of opened up other opportunities yeah, great. and with that you know that is often through a linkedin one message yeah. you know to yeah. hook in to get them to agree
1: what's your typical message look like do you want-
0: I do say reaching out, like okay. I specifically uh, choose words um, that are going to kind of like resonate. And I say reaching out because I think that what that implies is that um, the other person will generally respond because you're kind of asking for help. Mm. And I often ask more for um, advice. Um, I make it completely about about you. Yeah. Not about me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, Brenton Kane, who wrote um, the book about how to get you know millions of followers.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I sent him a quick message on LinkedIn. Said, "Hey, like I read your book and I loved it. Um, it was awesome. Your yeah, strategies and things in there have an Asia Pacific audience because he's US based. So that can be a bit of a yeah. leverage or a benefit.
1: Let's well, add value, right?
0: Yeah, but he would never normally necessarily tap into that kind of audience or database um and you know he's in lockdown too he wants to expand you know he's got programs and products and books and things uh would you mind you know speaking live for half an hour sharing some of those hints and tips and insights and he just agreed like that yeah so um yeah I, I kind of have a little bit of a behavioral psychology underpinning to some of the language yeah. that yeah, yeah. is used
1: I think it's critical to as you say reach out and not talk about yourself. I think that is probably yeah. the most critical thing. Talk about something that you read that they wrote, or that they've, or something they commented mm. on, or something that they're involved in. Yeah. Is definitely a better way to get. And it's not. And the first uh, message shouldn't be about the sale. Mm. It should be about hey. How do we get it? you know, or yeah. even a compliment and then maybe follow up two weeks later or three weeks later or something like that. If yeah, you bombard them, yeah, you do become a pest. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, it's something that you learn and acquire. Yeah. I'm still not great at it. Oh, I'm, I'm still fig- sure figuring Probably. it out as we go along. But
0: you, I guess you asked about how a South Australian business might go international. Yeah,
1: that's yeah, the absolutely next question. So yep. international, talk to me. Because that, yeah. that is overwhelming in its own right. If, mm-hmm, you know, you think mm-hmm. about where do I start, how do I what? how would I even service yeah. internationally? So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is going to be right for everybody, but mm. if I can sort of share about some of the things, you know, that I've sort of learned over the years. And the the first – so with um, Workforce Blueprint, we, we're we doing heaps of work, different industries, you know, travelling as a all around the country, every state and territory, doing like speaking gigs, all this kind of stuff. But um, – is I'm passionate about helping helping other people, particularly around their economic dependence and developing their workforce. Okay, is there a way to have more of an impact? And I had a couple of people in my network that were doing international work already. So in 2013, and I think this is important, even though I didn't realize it, how important it was at the time. Um, you know, we do regular strategic planning sort of cycles. So I put it into the vision of the company that we were to be going. Global and international, but without much detail, to be yeah. honest. Um, and then, was so
1: planting the seed, almost.
0: Yeah, yeah, It was almost like convincing myself. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm the managing director, so I tend to talk myself into things. Yeah. And then I'll talk to other people about it, um, almost like as if it's happening. And then I'll have to, I'll, ha- I'll yeah. have to make it happen.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, it's on the radar. I need it. Yeah, that's just the way I'm yeah. going. Yeah, I've
0: said I'm doing it. Yeah. So. It's <laughs> how, yeah. so um, Put that into the strategic plan and then from uh, this one person in particular that I knew that was doing a lot of international work, she was based in Queensland at the time, she was doing heaps in Asia Pacific and, um, you know, we'd networked over the years and I said to well, you know, have you got any ideas or suggestions? So she did do a little bit of a review um, of the company, our products, our services, the website, marketing materials and things like that and wrote up a little bit of a plan with some recommendations. And some things are incredibly basic. Mm. For example, put plus six one in front of your mobile phone number, yeah. you know. Um, if you're always quoting Australian stats or uh use blogging strategy a lot, like mm-hmm. can't just have all Australian content. So um, from her recommendations, we changed a few things and she's, you know, testimonials is really big, you mm-hmm. know, that sort of social proof. So getting more recommendations on LinkedIn, testimonials on the website, um, but with the blogging strategy, I uh, sort of like, okay, well, what's the countries maybe that we might want to work in and what's the locations that you want to travel to? Because I often tend to um, put in mini breaks and other things yeah. around this. So I brainstormed a list of those countries or locations and then I've worked with VA t- virtual assistant teams for a long time. So they do a lot of research then around that and then we form up blogs and post and that then immediately internationalises your website content, it changes your SEO it gives people the understanding that you have more of a global perspective. Mm. Um, so, so that's that, some simple things. That,
1: so that is the perception thing, isn't it? Once you've seen to be international, people start. Yeah, your confidence grows in your yeah. business, doesn't
0: it? And then because you're talking about it with people, um, you know, so the reaction would be, oh, you know, I didn't know that you, your company was going down that path. I thought that you were just, you know, doing stuff
2: mm. locally
0: or nationally, and then people. It's always about getting in the forefront of people's minds. So this one guy um, that we've worked with, um, you know, since 2013 till now um, who basically was the gatekeeper. So I originally thought how on earth are you going to build these networks in all these different countries? Like it just seems
1: impossible. It's blowing my mind right now. Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) But the key that I realised is that people in my Australian network, are already doing this work and can recommend or open the door for you and they've got their networks. So you don't have to necessarily go directly straight out to that other country where nobody knows you. And if you get that warm introduction, it's like anything, but in an international context, um, it's so powerful. And because I work in that area of education, entrepreneurship, innovation, development, that network internationally is quite small actually. So when you get to know a couple of people in Australia and this one guy, he wins all the work yeah. for his organisation um, from Department of Foreign Affairs and yeah. the Australian government and he's an amazing fellow. He's such a fantastic role model. Uh, he then um, called me up on, it was like um, Christmas Eve. I was at home with the girls, we're like cooking, getting ready and like he's, you know, he's, he calls me up to see his, I did not screen this call. I answered this one. And I'm like, oh, you know, interesting that you're calling. How are you? And he's like, Wendy, fantastic, but I've got a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Okay. He goes, "Um, we've got a couple of projects coming up. Would you be interested in working in the Maldives and in Bhutan? I'm like, yes. Yes, I would. Uh, 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 Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So um, it was really through him initially. Yeah, wow.
1: And so how do you, okay, so next step is how do you then actually work there? Do you just, yeah. you fly over there? What mm-hmm. is it always relying on you? Do you have to employ people? Like what is the?
0: Depends upon what it is but often it is, you know, you, there is a level of who you are and what your expertise is about. Mm. If you're in a knowledge-based business, yeah. right? Um, so if you're the lead, you know, if you're the managing director or you're the lead expert or consultant, like you can have other team members for sure. But internationally, particularly in some Asia-Pacific regions and countries, they want you because mm-hmm. you're the...
1: Yeah. You're the... You're right, the
0: managing... You're, the, you're it, yeah. the top person, right? So... Oh, yeah. um, this is don't second best. That's it. So that's something you've got to definitely sort of manage and, um, you know... Obviously, through the pandemic, things have changed, but I was going to, and not just me, other team members too, we were travelling a lot internationally. So these sort of projects we're involved in typically involve an in-country immersion with people could be representatives of the government or heads of industry or like top entrepreneurs from that country. And you're just meeting them. I mean, you do as much prep and understand and research as you possibly can, but there's nothing like being there, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, and I'd never been to the Maldives or Bhutan, for example. I'm yeah. sure it wasn't that nice. It's <laughs> well, it it a fascinating sort of context to it. So, yeah. um, like in the Maldives, for example, I went to Malay, which is the capital city. It's yeah. only a 2 by one k island. Yeah. You can literally see across That's the whole amazing. island. Um, and it's strongly Muslim. There's no alcohol there. At the time it was relatively gender, um, like strong gender lines. So mm. the women were not as... Uh, well-supported perhaps. I mean they right. had significant job roles and things but, you know, the men would often dominate the conversation yep. this sort of stuff. Yep. So you've got to learn a lot whilst you're there and even your dress. Uh, when you, you go to Bhutan and this is when I was with Nelson who was a great role model, you know, you um, you bow and you put your hands to your knees if it's somebody important and if you go down to your ankles if it's royalty. Now right. we, we met royal family and went – and the – Parliamentarians and ministers. Yeah, wow. Um, and I didn't wear traditional dress at first in Bhutan, but then I'm like, I twigged, and I'm like, okay, I think I should. So I, you know, got some traditional dress yeah. and yeah. and wore that. And again, you've got to just be quite self-aware about your communication and body language. And it's not like you have to necessarily. There's not like rules because it's all very contextual. Mm-hmm. So it's not black and white. It's kind of like when you're there, as long as you are open to this and aware, you'll pick up on how you need to behave and what you need to do.
1: Well, you do what you can to influence, right?
0: Yeah, but also I guess in lots of these cultures, you know, there is hierarchy, there is uh, things take longer, you know, there's VIPs, there's ways that you've got to acknowledge people and put others definitely before you, you know.
1: So when you're standing in front of royalty in another country, yeah. What's well, going? actually,
0: I met the prince on the plane, but did yes, you? I got a selfie. There yeah, yeah. Go. <laughs>
1: what, what's going through your head at that point? Are you thinking, yeah. uh, "How have I ended up here?" Or Holy what? crap! Yeah. How did I get here it's
0: for a, sure? And you have to pinch yourself sometimes. Yeah. When we went to um, the Maldives, we had afternoon tea in the
2: palace. Yeah, wow.
0: You know, like with advisors and things, and um, I'm just like, I can't even believe that <laughs> I'm here, and I'm like, people wouldn't believe it do you know what I mean because it just seems so different to Mm. what your life is like normally but because of the sorts of projects that you're involved in you are kind of you're sort of representing the Australian government I mean not directly but you were like a role model there for the country and so you've got to also be mindful of um you know how you behave like we went to um ambassadors houses and the embassies in Indonesia for example Mm -hmm. and So what was the
1: word? It was like workforce planning for the country? Is that kind of what you're like?
0: Yeah. So um, Because a
1: lot of our listeners really understand the whole workforce planning but from a business perspective, not from a country perspective.
0: And I guess there's (laughs) operational level workforce planning, you know, which is a bit more day-to-day and even like a more sophisticated version of rostering. Then there's strategic workforce planning, which is what what Workforce Blueprint does. So that's looking at where are we now? Where do we want to be in three, five, ten, sometimes longer time periods um, and figuring out the gap and then what do we do to bridge the gap so um, with these projects some of them are down that line so with um, those first ones it was with the government representatives who wanted to look at the workforce needs for the whole entire country Mm -hmm. then we've had heads of industries that are looking at their own sectors and then contributing that up to a national picture Um, You know, we've had people representing large corporations as well where they're looking more at their company. And then um, because you're doing work, which is basically we've not got enough people or we've got too many people, that then leads into that whole discussion about entrepreneurship and job creation. Mm. So that sort of built over a few years. And then um, we've had like top 25 entrepreneurs come multiple years in a row from Indonesia or from Bhutan and other countries, and that's been more about supporting individual entrepreneurs, but also building ecosystems in other countries and learning from Australia and vice versa. Yeah, wow. yeah. But I did have this experience when I went to Indonesia for one of these first programs, and we were in um, we were in Bandung this time. And I looked at the different companies, right? But sometimes you can't tell exactly who they are until you get there. Mm. And we were doing the kind of like opening session and people were introducing themselves and I realised that there was a guy there from Gojek and I don't know if you know Gojek but it's the number one unicorn company in Indonesia Um, and it's like does scooters and things like that but now they do ticketing massages as basically Mm -hmm. any kind of services. Huge. And when that sort of sunk in and this is, you know, early on in the piece, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, like, We have to completely shift some of the content that we've got here. You know, it was too basic. Literally yeah. had to change it overnight because, yes, we did have small, you know, solo entrepreneurs and things there, but they still had massive followings yeah. on, on, you know, socials. And then we had the biggest, in most Indonesia. impressive, <laughs> you know, yeah, startup in the... So the
1: scale is just...
0: And, you know, Indonesia's 250 million people, so... There's lots of they have this 1,000 startup program, which means 1,000 unicorns, yeah, right? Yeah. So that funnel is huge to then get to to this. So, you know, sometimes I have these moments. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, I really have got to work hard and quick and fast yeah. to um, to do this, and you know, kind of like draw out that that expertise. And in the end, we've hosted five or six unicorn companies now. So I got, I got you know more twigged into that yeah. but that first experience was it's, was like oh my goodness
1: well it's just the old you know everyone's favorite word at the moment the pivot right you're able to pivot on the spot and
0: it's like survival do you know yeah, what I mean like correct. I'm not I don't want to look like an idiot or embarrass <laughs> myself or not run this program to the level that it should be run.
1: yeah um, you get one crack at it yeah.
0: yeah and um you know They then obviously talk and network and share feedback and um, so that was like a three-day kind of immersion that we did there and then we hosted what we generally host those groups in Australia for a couple of weeks and design the whole program and again give them access to people that they would never normally meet Mm -hmm. and then go back a couple of um, months later because everyone has a project or something like that that they're working on and then they pitch that and present that back. So
1: to recap on going international.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Look at your existing networks. Yeah. Join certain industries and stuff like that, forums.
0: Uh, for More like forums. Like, for example, I had um, another opportunity where I was on this UNESCO Univoc forum, mm-hmm. which is the United Nations. Mm-hmm. And um, there'll be, in any industry sector, there'll be kind of like more like internationalised forums and mm-hmm. networks and e-news and stuff like that that people can get. And I saw this post which was like, oh, hey, we're going to run this entrepreneurial leadership program in Bonn in Germany, you know, leaders from around the world applied for it. And I reached out to the guy who was running it and said, oh, hey, you know, are you interested? Do you need some facilitators? And are you interested? I saw that you were looking for this, that and the other and sort of, you know, put myself forward. And I ended up getting that (laughs) opportunity, right? So they flew me to Bonn in Germany. You know, you're at the UN HQ with a view over the Rhine. Working with all these—it's amazing because
1: I think most people, uh, me being really speaking from on my own behalf, I look at those international stuff and go, "Yeah, there's, mm. there's no chance. So what's the point?"
0: But you know, um, one fund that we applied for, nobody else from Australia applied for,
1: yeah. right?
0: So you—it's—I th- know it's counterintuitive because you think everyone's going for it. It's—they are not. They're not. So if you see these opportunities, you have far more competition locally and nationally than internationally. Yeah. It's bizarre, but yeah. it's how it works.
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: I want to dive into the entrepreneur mindset. It's something yeah. that you work with a lot of your entrepreneurs with and, yep. and people starting. Um, I know you've got the start. Grow, um, start,
0: Switch start switch, scale. Switch start scale. Yeah. Sorry. I'm yeah.
1: d- just trying to get my S's uh, in the right, yes. the right, right way there. Um, <laughs> someone's come up, come, someone comes up with a great idea. They want to start a business. Yep. Um Entrepreneurship and and, and starting your own business is not for the faint-hearted. It is is a tough gig, especially if you are looking to scale and grow a team and have people and human beings work with you and and, and partner with you. Mm -hmm. It can be, you know, the ups and downs. I often say to people uh, you can have one of the best days and worst days in your business in the same day. Like the ups and downs, it's just crazy the way it throws – Mm. it throws these you know these these curveballs at you all the time yeah what what is your advice for someone wanting to start a business first and foremost and yep. secondly how do we develop the entre- entrepreneur mindset is it for everyone
0: like it potentially can be like I always see things as glass half full and and positive and if somebody wants to do that um you know, I don't think that you're just born with it or anything like that. I do think you can develop yourself down that path. But you definitely have to be committed and you have to be humble and you have to learn a lot. Um, so I think that anybody potentially could pursue an idea and, and, and make it happen. But um, there's some fundamental things that you have, to, you have to kind of do. So because I meet with people that it could be still a business idea or they could be start-up or scale-up, sometimes people have a concept but they've not done any validation or testing whatsoever. Mm. Um, or maybe they've started and got going, but they've got stuck. And often it is about their confidence too. Like self imposters massively real. Mm-hmm. And they talk themselves out of things. Um, and I frequently have clients tell me, I just don't know what's the steps or what I should prioritize or where they should spend their time, energy, and effort. And that's often because they don't have any other. Outside kind of support or influences. They just think it's gonna somehow magically come from their yeah. brain as to what they should do.
2: Yeah.
0: Which it doesn't. No. So I sort of believe in having um like structure and a plan and logical, practical steps. So when I work with people, we do like this A to Z action plan and we look at everything related to their idea, their business, and then we figure out what their priorities are gonna be. Now, um, if they're already up and running, like number one, always sales, it's always mm. sales and I've definitely observed people that have got um, unusual beliefs sometimes about money, like am I worthy or can I ask for this amount or what should I be charging? Like there's a whole thing that goes on in people's brains about that value. They
1: discount themselves.
0: Discount themselves or, yeah, think that other people are better. They compare themselves a Mm. lot. So, you know, you've got to have ways of controlling that because it, c- it can get out of control yeah. and it will destroy you. Um, you've got to have people around you that are going to support you. Like sometimes I meet people and even their partner thinks that what they're doing is a joke
2: <laughs> and their yeah.
0: kids make fun of them or yeah. whatever, right? So Just that's like never going to be... Yeah, constant no. self-doubt. Coming
2: well, from, but from, it's
0: also reinforced, yeah, reinforced like really that. meanly and directly, like mm-hmm. what you're doing is crap kind of thing. So you've got to think about... It's, yes, you know, your networks and who's going to support you. Well, absolutely. You. It's an interesting mm.
1: point because everyone else is putting their fears onto you and yeah. you're then taking that on.
0: Yeah. And okay. mostly it is risk-based about money. Yeah. To, when you boil it down. Oh, You know, that's can you still contribute to the household, yeah. you know, these sorts of questions. Uh, Which
1: makes me wonder because you're saying the first and foremost is about sales, right? And I, I often yeah. say the same thing. Get, get the clients in, get the product out, sell as much as you can mm. uh, and then worry about all the back end. It is mm. – um, sales is a dirty word though. People, yeah, I know. People don't mm. want to sell. I'm purpose-driven. I'm this, mm. I'm that. There's all these sort of uh, yeah. cliches that they use. Mm. The ultimate goal is to sell your product, is mm. it not? So figure out a way in which you can yeah. – and connect it connected to a purpose, yes.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you got – if you – say, for example, you do want to reinvest in other um, purposeful activities, we got to have money coming in. And it's not that you are – overly focused on money either because then people think you're an idiot, right? You have yeah. to be really balanced about this.
1: Which just gives you options.
0: Yeah, well, people have to still want to see a need to buy your thing, <laughs> yeah, whatever correct. your thing is. Yeah. You know, you still have to be serving clients and there has to be a need for it and and not just a need but a want. There has to be a problem for sure. Um, but the market has to be ready for it too. Mm. And if you are confused about that or if you're a bit standoffish about, that it will, it will come across and people won't have confidence in you um, so, or, you know, or your products or services.
1: So is the idea then, for, so you, going back to the entrepreneur mindset, yeah. step number one, learn sales. Is that kind of what you're saying or or, or find ways to sell? Like, wh- wh- where do we start in that I mean space? sales
0: or value, like somehow provide value. Yeah, okay. You know, ideally, yes, of course, you're going to get the money sort of side of it. I mean heaps of people that I meet with too don't have a budget or a plan necessarily mm-hmm. around that either. In some respects that can come a little bit kind of um, later, I guess, because you still have to go through those validation if it's really early stage, right? But um, even if whatever business you're doing, there still has to be a component of sales, even if it's focused around things that are non-profit or whatever, there there still has to be an element. Relationships-based or whatever, but, you know, in my business, I'm I've got a mix of clients. So with Workforce Blueprint, it's more B2B or business to government. In switch start scale, it's more um business to consumer or client. So um you can't always have those. With the, the relationships with business to business and business to government, yes, you have those ongoing connections with you can't have a personal relationship necessarily with your customers and consumers. Yeah. So you've got to be practical about these things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You've got to make it easy to buy. As well, like so many people make it hard to buy from, buy yeah. from them. you've
1: got to get through a loophole to buy something from them.
0: Oh, you've got to get a quote or a proposal. Or it's got to go back multiple times or you can't find it easy enough on the website. They don't have a shop, hmm. you know, so.
1: What is the common pitfall that you see uh, from from some of the entrepreneurs that you, w- yeah. you work with and, and uh, what holds them back? What holds most people back?
2: Mm.
0: It's kind of like one thing that's about them and another thing that's about their idea or their business. So um, definitely that confidence. Mm. Most people understate themselves. Every now and again you come across somebody really cocky and, you know, people won't like them anyway. Mm. But most people understate themselves and they're not confident in their ability and they shoot themselves in the foot and they even verbalise this to themselves Mm. about, oh, you know, you shouldn't be doing this or somebody's better or whatever. On the product service experience side, it's the validation. Mm. Um, People don't get the thing quick enough to a cheaper and easier version of it to test it out. Then they might put it out there and they listen to advice, like we were saying before, that's not even from somebody that's ever going to, you know, use your product or use your service. So they go down rabbit holes because somebody over here suggested, you know, to try this strategy or whatever. Mm. So it's evidence-based validation. That, that is true, that is reliable, that is coming from, you know, an appropriate sort of source. Yeah. Yeah.
1: How much emphasis do you put on the personal growth aspect of, of entrepreneurship in, yeah. in, in the consistent uh, development of self mm-hmm. throughout this? Because, you know, you can you can dive into business and, and really want to grow and you might have a good product, you might have something that, that people want to buy. Yeah, but the further and further you get in, it, the harder and harder it gets, right? Because there's more aspects. that, You know, we're, we're hustling every single day. Mm. There's so many things that you need to do. Productivity then falls because you're just figuring, you're just answering emails all day long, as opposed to actually getting sales yeah. out the door. So all these things come into play. Yep. But actually, developing yourself and growing yourself, and and spending time with a coach or spending time. Uh, Mm. watching YouTube video or whatever it might be, reading books. We're big Mm. readers here at Synergy IQ, so we read a copious amount of books. You know, learning as well as implementing and executing. Mm. Is that something that you put a lot of emphasis in? with your? Yeah,
0: and look, this is related to whatever people's personal learning styles are as well because some people might enjoy theory or reflection or more practical things. Um, And so there's no question, like learning and mastery of skills Mm. is important and that is an ongoing kind of process. But I have seen examples where people distract themselves from the real work yes. <laughs> um, by doing too much of that as well. Yeah, I've right?
1: read every other book but never started a business. Yet.
0: Exactly. Or I watch all these videos or, you know, I even listen to all these podcasts or um, they do all these programs. It's
1: analysis paralysis. Right? Yeah. So
0: like, yes, you have to consider your ongoing development but it's got to be like I always think about it from a learning needs analysis, training yeah. needs analysis yeah. base. And look, there could be 30 things that you could do, but you don't have the time, energy, and effort for that. So what are the top priority things that will get you the best kind of return return on that? Um, and it's similar to things like networking and events. Mm-hmm. So um, like I do go to a lot, right, but yeah. that's because of the sort of work and role that I have and I host heaps of them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but sometimes I see people going and stuff I'm like, why are you even going there? Like you can go to some networking events for friendship and connection and support. That's valid. Yeah. But if you're not going to enough events um, or not in enough networks where your actual customers and clients are, like what do you, what do you, how why are you doing that? Yeah. You know, you're doing it for some other yeah. Kind of purpose, um, and maybe that's again a bit of a way to step back from that sales or whatever. Was it,
1: the thing is just really as figuring out who your typical avatar is or the persona that you're trying to. If you if you're yeah. targeting the C suite, for example, and you're going to mm. sort of random. Uh, catch ups uh, uh, networking mm. drinks sort of thing, yeah there is a bit of time wasting, so it is mm. how do you get into the rooms with the the executive team? yeah D- do you start off with those lower end networking and then move your way up, or do you just like
0: uh, Maybe maybe depends how confident you are yeah. like you know networking definitely is a is a core capability that you're gonna have to have if you're if you're starting up a business or you're the the leader of your business absolutely, um you know how to have good conversations, how to listen. How to be focused on the other person, not yourself. Yeah. Um, not to be cocky and arrogant, and those things where you just see people and just go, no, avoid that person. Yeah. Um, you've got to still give value first, and you can't expect that something's you're not gonna you're not gonna sell. You know, meeting somebody for the first time, and yeah. that would be offensive even if you tried to do that. So, for practice and for development, perhaps there is some networks that you might go to, and I always think it's important. Even though I was doing a lot of international work, I still kept ground, yeah. grounded in more like a local regional network Absolutely. too. So um, but I guess what I'm saying is, you know, regardless of what you do automation technology-wise and all your systems, you still only have a limited amount of time and, and energy to put into things. Um, and so you've got to think through how do, you, how do you chop your week up. Sometimes I have conversations with the clients and they'll be like, oh, can I just talk to you about how I am spending my time and how I have got my calendar working and and then I show them mine and then I, you know, I've got lots. I block out even dinner with the kids, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know. Oh, um,
1: this is very topical at the moment. I yeah. am um, very much in that space of learning how to be more productive and, and, yeah. and use my calendar to the point where um, I'm, you know, even putting in my calendar now when I go for a run or something. Yeah,
0: so I, I, I do that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: it's not something. Not I, that I
0: run, but yeah. You know. Well, yeah, it's
1: more about um, it, it, it's something that I'm trying to evolve because I was yeah. uh, I've always been the type of person that just rocked up and did anything and just kind of mm. you know whoever screamed the loudest i jump at and just yeah. do that first. So uh, really utilizing your time. I know that you do a lot in that space, and you mentioned before the four to one yeah. method. Can mm. you give us a little bit of insight what that looks like? So, be yep. from a productivity point of view, and any hacks you might have? Yeah, with.
0: for sure. So like a really practical example, you do a webinar, right? You're going to record it. You are going to then obviously do a follow-up email and send that recording out. You might share it on social media as well. You're going to get it transcribed. You're going to turn it into an e-book. You might chop it up and turn it into blogs. The video content you might repurpose for an online program. Mm -hmm. So that's the sort of thing Mm -hmm. that I mean. Um, Efficiency, yeah. Yeah, and even uh, like I've got a client and she's just published a book. So she used her podcast got episodes transcribed, that's the chapters of a book. So I've helped people figure out what's the best way to use this four-for-one. Like if you can get more than four out of it, yeah. you would do. Um, even something like an e-news, right? You might do an email e-news that you might do monthly perhaps because you want consistency and communication. Mm-hmm. You're then going to chop that up for social media. Um, you're probably going to have a blog that you also include in your e-news, You know, so you're going to think about ways that you can repurpose and reuse content multiple times over. Um one of the things about your calendar and your time, like I wasn't like this at first. Like I was pretty resistant, but now I have a mindset of outsourcing first. Mm. And that's completely changed so much. Um so, so, any, ha- yeah.
1: so from a VA point of view or well or or, or
0: yeah, like I use in? yeah, I use VAs, but you have the change in mindset. Like at first my husband Scott's like, you're just doing too much, let's try out a VA. It's like fifteen. Or more years ago, I'm like, oh, I just don't think they'll do it good enough. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. They don't sure. do it the way I want to do it, yeah. Exactly. What am I going to get them to do? Anyway, we found somebody through one of those sites and interviewed them and they did 20 hours worth for free. It was databases, I think, the task was and a few other bits and pieces related to socials or research and their work was outstanding. We paid them, of course. Um, But, you know, over the years we've then used them and their team, they've scarred up to 20 people at a time for us depending upon different projects but what you do is you think through okay I've got these projects coming up these events these programs opportunities that, you know we want to write these blogs we're going to have this content and you get the VAs to do all that ground research first um, because you don't want to use your time or one of your team members time doing that that kind of work so um, the sort of things that our VA team does is um, they look at Google alerts things that's appropriate to repurpose for our social media they develop databases for us. Say we get a project, like maybe um, just recently we did a project related to, uh, or oh, we were researching a project related to hydrogen. Mm-hmm. So they could do all the research from around the world related to that topic. Or maybe we're doing a workforce plan related to a town or a region. So they'll do they'll do that. Um, maybe we've got events coming up with Switch Start scale, So, you know, things like um, setting up the Zoom, the Eventbrite, you know, the Facebook event. Yeah. So if you can think about that first because you're always going to be a dollar value, you know, way above yeah. these sorts of kind of admin tasks and even your team members are. So it's like if you can put yourself into that zone then your efficiency just becomes, you know, nuts.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah I really like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, from a From a diary point of view, how did yeah. you how did you get to that point where you managed your diary to to the level of you know booking in time with your kids? Yeah. And,
2: well,
0: and, see, well, one daughter doesn't like that, so no. I can't send her a meeting request. No. But the other one's fine.
1: <laughs> um
0: I don't know how many years I've done this for now, yeah. but I mean I essentially use a Google Calendar, yeah. right? And uh, have recurring tasks in there and then um I normally see clients um for at least three days a week, mm-hmm. and then I block out some um you know, office catch-up kind of time, and then more like some development, yeah. either business development or personal development. And then there's events and things.
1: So, what does that look like from a from a like
0: alley blocks? Literally. Yeah, yeah. So, if yeah. you've
1: booked out three days for clients, yeah,
0: and then it's one one client per hour,
1: one client per hour, mm-hmm. and do and all in the same space. Like, how do you? How do you uh, manage the, the locations? Like if you, do, if you're, are you going to each of the client's site, or are they coming to you? Clients or?
0: are normally coming to me. Depend with workforce blueprint, I'm normally going there. Yeah. So then I'll put travel. We will put travel time either side. Yeah, okay. Um, I do have a lo- Australian-based personal assistant as well, mm-hmm. and which I only did more recently, maybe in the last year or two, because the biggest stress that I had in my life was email. Mm. So I get like a ridiculous number of emails. So she set up a really systematic column, uh, not column, folder, folder system and automatic you know responses and rules and now I only have to look at a small number of urgent or actionable emails as opposed to the other things that are more for noting or reading or, or whatever. So, um, and she also looks at my calendar. I have with Switch.Scale my calendar is publicly up on the website and we use Calendly and people book in yeah. either online or face-to-face. Um, and then you know if there's travel time, all that gets booked out. Yeah,
1: well. I use the I use the online meeting tool through our CRM. Yeah, and the one thing that uh, frustrates me with it is that people can book random times, right? You give them time mm. frames in between. Yeah. But then I might have a meeting at nine o'clock, for example. Yeah. And then someone else books in for for eleven o'clock, mm. and then no one will book in that middle piece and so yeah. I'm kind of sitting around for two hours and I'm not yeah. very productive within yeah. those two hours because so yeah. I really find that I prefer to manage my own diary so I can really put them block them in, mm. in certain way I'm still mm. trying to work this out
0: well I think we switched out because it's a different sort of service you know yeah. people can book in for the one hour coaching and mentoring online or face-to-face they can choose they've got the options they can do 15 minutes and they can do 30 minutes yeah. actually as well when it's more um, business development, say, for example, we've got some clients at the moment that are councils that want to do workforce plans. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to go to them and, yeah. you know, that's going to be more an email conversation back and forth to find a time. Yeah. But in my calendar, I've still got a chunk booked out for that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, okay. Um,
0: and at first when I got Calendly, yeah, I wasn't good about the travel and stuff like that. So yeah. I messed it up at first. It takes a little bit yeah. of time to get used to it. Yeah, um, and-
1: it's what yeah there's hmm. there's an art to it
0: yeah and I was definitely a beginning probably having too many people booking so mm. then I pulled that back to chunking time
1: how yeah. important is it to work on the strategy and go back and do that office work and, and really just concentrate on the future focus and the plans and the, you mm. know, the one the three the five year plans all that sort of stuff yeah. it, you know you talk about being being a leader within your own business, it's about thinking strategically. How much time yeah. and effort do you put into that weekly?
0: Um, well, again, I'm not sure if I would carve this out specifically because mm-hmm. it happens often. Sometimes it happens in formal times mm-hmm. like when you are doing reviewing quarterly or, you know, annually or whatever yeah, yeah. and um, often go away to do strategic planning like mm-hmm. s- some location. So there's that but um, I think it happens in other moments like when you are driving or you are waiting for somebody or you are um, transitioning sort of thing. That's yeah. how my brain works yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I definitely read a lot and follow a lot of other people too on social media and stuff like that. So with Workforce Blueprint the focus is the future all the time, the future of job skills and work. And naturally your mind just sort of sits there perhaps because of the sort of person that you are and the personality and you're always looking the horizon and what's coming next. But your work informs it too, mm. you know, because if you're working in that space, you get all of these kind of inputs that you would never normally get mm. about what that picture is kind of look like, looking like. So you need some processing time, time for that. But I guess, yeah, you've got to have some, um, you know, formal time set aside. I think those regular review periods and then, you know, a couple of days normally each year for that, you know, longer term strategic planning.
1: How do you manage the uh, the uh, the best way I'm trying to think of putting this is the approval of addiction uh, essentially of trying of getting back to people when people email you mm-hmm. there's uh, especially people that you you really want to do business with or work with or yep. people within your own team and you really want to respond to them as quickly and, and as precisely as possible. Mm. Um so instance, you see the email pops up or someone rings you and you see, you see the yeah. text message, whatever it might be, there's this yeah. constant feeling that you need to get back to them, mm-hmm. uh, which can take you away from your day-to-day, right, and yeah. can take you away from doing more important strategic stuff on um, general mm-hmm. operations. How do you manage feeling of the amount of people that you need mm. to get back to because you say you got emails coming on the front and center yeah
0: you get notifications on your phone all the time so you have to put the phone face down yeah yeah, yeah. Particularly I, when you're clients well, I've turned
1: things. notifications off but yeah even if it, if it if it's a client or if it's a potential client or if mm. it's a staff or whoever it might be there's this yeah. always constant feeling I need to get back it's always sitting in the back of my head I need mm. to get back I need to get back I need mm. to get back how do you manage the feeling of, of, yeah. of doing that
0: Uh, This might not suit everyone, but I drive everything to email. So even on my phone it says, don't leave a message, send me an email. Yeah. Right, because...
1: I did get that message.
0: Yes. (laughs) I mean, I'm not great at listening to my phone and responding to people, but also if I've got clients, like it's just not possible, Yeah, you know. So, um, you know, I drive all the message to email and then because I know my personal assistant is there daily, she's sorting through stuff anyway. And then I know that I only have to have a look at certain things. So I... Would expect to get back to people 24-48 hour kind of period. Um,
1: do you do you earmark that to them? Do you say?
0: No, I don't. I just think that's a expectation. Mm. If somebody thinks that you're going to get back to them within an hour or two, or even same day, now I think that's a bit tricky, and maybe it's more about what's coming from them rather than yeah, you. Yeah, correct. So sometimes we put other people's expectations on our.
1: Yeah. Selves, oh, It's funny, yeah. I had a conversation with friends and family the, the other day, and we we're all in disagreement. Uh, me, mm. everyone was in disagreement with my theory on this. Mm. If someone rings you and leaves mm-hmm. and, and, and you miss the call, yep. I, 99% of the people in the room that I was talking mm. to said that it is an expectation that, I, that, that the person is to call back.
0: No, not if they don't leave a message. Correct, and no. that was exactly
1: my argument. So yeah. thank you very much. Definitely was, not. I'm going to well, reiterate. A lot of the time, this. it's bloody
0: scammers and stuff. <laughs> a lot of the time, it's scammers and well, stuff. That, anyway, you Well, know that's what I'm saying.
1: saying. But if you know yeah. the oh, no, if you know yeah. if you know them, you should call them back. No, no it if is they your, don't your leave expectation. Yeah, exactly. they
0: don't leave a message, and then because of the voicemail that I've got set up, people send me an email anyway.
1: Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Anyway, we're going down to semantics and that so sort of good. stuff. Um, you talked about the future of work and looking more in, into the longevity and you are yeah. with Workforce Blueprint, you are doing, you know, looking further forward. Mm-hmm. The future of work right now, it's up in the air. We've got job shortages left, right and centre. We've got yep. people screaming for work, people stealing and, and uh, when I was poaching. Poaching, poaching nicer. Yeah, yeah, is yeah, a better is word. Uh, poaching uh, left, right and centre. We've got yeah. big companies coming from overseas Saying we're going to set up a thousand jobs only yeah. to take away from the small, the smaller teams, so they're not really, uh, mm. they're not really creating jobs. They're stealing, jo- uh, well, poaching, I should say. They're 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 they're, they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. So you have got all these problems in 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 the world at the moment, specifically yeah. in I'm talking specifically Australia. Mm-hmm. How do two questions to come out of this? Yeah. What does the future of work look like out out, out of this pandemic? Yeah. And secondly. Where are we going to get more people, these people from? <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: The future of work is still very human focused, yeah. right? Even though we might use all of these different technologies and so on and we'll see much more of a crossover. For example, um, there is a company that's been working for a number of years on, on a humanoid, um, humanoid robots mm-hmm. and um, they're out of the US and out of New Zealand um, and a lot of companies have kind of picked up, like banks have picked them up um, emergency services and so on, right? But they still have to be programmed and trained at this stage uh-huh. by a human, uh-huh. right? So that's just a complete reality. And in fact, we are going to have to go more before the pandemic. We probably thought we we're being dragged down this automation path with some people being a bit resistant to it because they thought that people would lose
2: jobs. Uh-huh.
0: Now we're in a situation that if we don't maximize that automation, because we already don't have enough people for the jobs, yeah. particularly in a Western developed context, we should probably say that, Yes. Yep. Um, we need the automation to work even better mm. for us and for that to be amped up even more because we just can't feel the jobs that we have vacant at the moment. Now, you know, we're sitting in Adelaide, South Australia at the moment, not locked down. There'll be people listening, I'm sure, from other places where the perspective would be different because of the context of being locked down and seeing lots of businesses struggling. But post-lockdown um, and post-pandemic, all the signs are indicating a massive boom and even in our state we have already experienced because we had, had more of a lighter touch experience perhaps let's say around coronavirus we weren't locked down for so long we've already seen evidence of those, those booms happening. So the situation for us and perhaps um, maybe a state like WA for example is massive skills and labour shortages literally across every sector and in regions it is acute right. Mm-hmm. So we have to have a picture that involves much more automation and technology just to handle that. In terms of getting more people, there's a lot of latent capacity in our current labour pool that we are not tapping into. And employers industry, you know, we're going to have to be much more broader minded about where we're going to get people from. Mm -hmm. So because our borders are shut at the moment, like often we would use a skilled migration, even a backpacker workforce or whatever to give us some room to move and that's not an option for us at the moment. So that's causing pain in very particular sectors. But um, there are cohorts where we could do way more. Um, for example, women who are mothers. Right? There are lots of women who are out of the workforce at the moment. This is, you know, a thorny issue about childcare and OSH and other support, but there's latent capacity basically if we could do something to engage mothers in more flexible kind of work arrangements um, and to manage those caring responsibilities. Mm -hmm. There's definitely more capacity working with people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, Aboriginal, Indigenous people, Mm -hmm. absolutely there is too. And there's another perspective which is kind of like culturally based as well. Um, You know, when you work with, in, in a business and industry context, you're networked in a particular way. When it comes to these other cohorts that we're talking about, people from coming from culturally diverse backgrounds, they're networked more in a community, friendship, family way. So we've got to get our heads around if you're looking to, to recruit people to fill those vacancies, how to kind of like partner up with those leaders of those different, you know, communities and, um, you know, groups and whatever to tap into that latent capacity as well. Uh, but still we're going to have to increase our population for sure. Mm. And when it comes to regions... I mean, there's just some jobs that you can't not do by going to the yeah, place. Yeah, correct.
1: Well, I think in the regions, you told me some, I think it was, yeah, you told me the statistic the other day, a thousand people in one community.
0: Oh, well, one one town has a thousand population. They have 100 jobs. 100 so jobs. So that, yeah. In, available. Available now.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's crazy. Ridiculous.
0: Um. The, guess what the number one job is regionally that's in
1: demand? What's that? Cleaner. Really?
0: Yeah. I don't know if you have a cleaner. I mean, I, I do, I, it's hard to get a cleaner I, at the I moment.
1: We've know. just had one. It's the best thing. I, I can't it's believe it. It's plenty hard to
0: get them though. It's really hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard to get cleaners, pool cleaners, gardeners, maintenance people, trades, right? So we, in other countries, like in Europe, for example, um, they the EU, the European Commission, has a whole labour mobility strategy about the way that people kind of like move around and mm. obviously it's been change over pandemic times but that's something that's coming back on the ball again so we have to think more about workforce development strategies that allow flexibility of work labour mobility and definitely tap into these underrepresented groups that have got significant capacity there but Maybe we're just not seeing it.
1: How do we tap into them though? Is just like door knocking? Like, what, what, is, the, yeah. what is the option? Well, if like they're I not mentioned, applying for jobs, then how do you. How do they you...
0: might be applying for jobs. So, there's one side of it where um, maybe the way that they're applying for jobs is not matching. The criteria or there's some screening out or there's so on that supply side we definitely have to do more work for people to understand what the jobs are and to get them representing themselves in the best way possible yeah. with their resumes applications and that
1: sort of yeah, thing because that's half the battle isn't it yeah like you're i selling, see you're lots selling of yourself on a piece of paper.
0: yeah so there's many programs and initiatives um you know coming out around that sort of side of things The other thing is, um, like I was mentioning about how people are networked, they're networked through family and friends and community groups or kind of like um, country-based associations. Mm. So that is how you have to tap into those pools of people. And that does take time but you've got to build up relationships with those key leaders in those communities or people that might already have, you know, a group of mothers, for example, that are connected for another kind of purpose. So... um, it's different. It's not a business in industry way of thinking about how we network. It is a more of a family, friends, community-based way of doing so
1: it. So going back to the entrepreneurs, right, and yeah. we're talking about um, switch, start, scale. You're yeah. working with entrepreneurs to switch, start, and then scale their business. So as they're mm-hmm. scaling... Uh, they're going through this growth, they're working on their growth strategy, executing yeah. their growth strategy. In amongst that, they need to have a recruitment strategy, right? Yeah. With, in a world that we are in today where there is a skills shortage, how do you mm. manage the both? Where mm-hmm. And where do you put most of your time? And you can't grow without people yeah. and there's not enough people to grow. So mm. do you sit in limbo? How do, how, what yeah. do we do here?
0: Well, you outsource everything that you possibly could yeah. first, okay. right? Yeah, and yeah. not just locally but internationally as yeah. well. Um, then you think about the way that you structure up the specific job
1: roles. So, outsource recruitment, or are you talking about outsource, outsource the, the tasks? The, okay. but
0: not the, not the, um, not the core, do You know what I mean? More like the admin, yeah. the incidental, yeah. the kind of time-consuming tasks, yeah. right? So, if you because you, you want to do this lean still mm-hmm. in terms of scaling up, so whatever you can outsource and get off your your team's plate, you you will sort of do that. Then you'll think about how you're structuring up those job roles. In the mindset of who you want to attract and like you have to have much more flexibility from an employer point of view about the way that you're thinking about start time, finish time, hours, Mm. you know, um, flexible kind of work arrangements and packages, definitely working from home is here to stay forever.
2: Um,
0: You know, some tasks can't be done that way, so you've got to think through the way to best structure that up. If you are looking at other diverse pools of people like people with disability, for example, then the job role needs to fit much more around them know and their strengths. so we've got to sort of flip our thinking a little bit and not just think, oh, okay, we're going to put this job out and we're going to want to you know have this start and finish time, this is what the contract's going to look like. It's much more of a negotiation. And with the attraction side of the things, particularly for a smaller company or a startup, like probably all of us could think of times when we've seen one person wreak havoc yeah. in an organization and it's just destroyed. Everybody and, and, you know, and yeah. the work and the relationships. Yeah,
1: and the narcissists.
0: Yeah. So a values match has to be key and it can't just be, has to be more like an evidence-based approach to that values match. Um, and I guess you've got to think through a bit like the avatar of the target market but more detail about who is it that you really specifically want to attract, where you going to find them or more people like that if you want that kind of, um, you know, style in your business. And then you've got to be way more open and flexible. Um, as an employer, mm. um, thinking through how you're going to structure that. I mean, we probably are going to see significant inc- increases in in pay rates and, you know, um, what people are expecting yeah. because of it, these shortages. That's
1: an interesting comment because, you know, you talk about when I said before some of these big companies coming over here and poaching, they're offering mm. wages that the smaller businesses cannot uh, to not, cannot yeah. um, afford to. or uh, But not necessarily can't afford They've got it fixed in their head that I'm not paying that. I'm not paying mm. someone first year out of uni that much when yeah. the big companies are. Uh, yeah. Is it is it a matter of the smaller companies changing their mindset and actually just accepting it or is it do we uh, hold on to where we're at?
0: But you're going to have constraints around your resources, right, mm. If you if you're in that scale-up mode. So I guess you've got to really be clear about who is it that you want to attract. And money is always part of the equation but for some people it's not – the be one end, or so again, it's a, a match on that values and that alignment. Yeah. Like, what else do people care about? And they will choose, you know, this startup because they're going places over a multinational where they're just like, you know, the millionth employee your, your, or whatever your number. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. What What is your biggest concern for the next five years in the in the job market in the world of of work?
0: Well, I think this picture that's emerging at the moment. Um there's a few things in the short term and then the longer term. Um with the whole discussions and not to get too political but around vaccines and whatever, mm-hmm. I think there is certainly like division happening mm-hmm. in workplaces and in Well you industry. can already hear
1: it the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. Yeah, and I sort of, <laughs> you know, like saw this movie.
0: emerging last yeah. year thinking this is going to be something that HR and um you know, OD and training managers and workplace health and safety and CEOs are going to have to take more seriously around that so you know that's a it's like um uh, because it's not just a business thing you know or a company thing it's a personal thing so that crossover is really really tricky this picture now of merging of labor and skill shortages in in Australia and lots of other developed countries are reporting something similar I don't think that we expected this after the pandemic we thought oh you know a number of people will lose their job and then there'll be a big pool of people to draw upon. But um, what's happened is significant shift shifts between industry sectors. And a lot of people have reprioritized work really mm. around, well, my family's more important, my health's more important. Yeah. I want to do something that's lasting, that's different or whatever. So um, it's not a con- – I mean, I always see things as opportunities, right? Mm, yeah. So I think structurally – there'll be many industry sectors that will have to, that that almost like won't have a choice really
2: to shift around. Yeah, they'll be forced.
0: Yeah, they'll be forced because they don't don't have another option. Um, What I would want to make sure that we do see is that we are more inclusive with diverse Mm. sectors and and people and um, are more thoughtful about that in terms of recruitment and attraction strategies and, and retention. And, you know, the way to sort of structure work up. And I guess the other thing that is um, is an opportunity is just thinking more globally and internationally. Like how can we have – how can we tap into other resources? How can we have a bigger impact? Um, how can we see – from an entrepreneurial point of view, like I'd love to see more companies playing on a bigger stage, on a world mm-hmm. stage than what they are at the moment. And people with a more open mind to that kind of opportunity.
1: If – if Scott Morrison knocked on yeah. Wendy Perry's door yeah. and said I need help with the workforce of Australia, yeah, what's one piece of information that you mm. would give him?
0: We need a vision for the workforce. Yeah. Like I, I can't believe that we haven't, we probably haven't had a vision for the workforce in any way, shape or form for at least 15 or more years. So we used to have one that was kind of related a bit more to the education sector.
1: Um, so what does the vision look like for the workforce? You, it
0: is some sort of statement about, you know, in – so we would pick a time frame that is sensible and logical. Yeah. Um, and I think we can't go too far out because it's just not practical we to do that know, yeah. because there's lots of things outside of our control. But there is a particular process when we're doing workforce planning that we go through around scenario planning that makes these things more concrete. So we might pick, you know, 2025 or 2030 or something like that and talk about the, the version of the workforce, the picture that we kind of want and we make it as real as we possibly can. And that considers all the drivers and the external factors and the things that we're we in or out of control of. But at the moment we don't have a clear vision that is um, consolidated, that, you know, mul- you know, multiple stakeholders agree to. We, we haven't had that picture for a long time. And it's interesting when you do international work because you'll see developing nations that, you know, have got far less resources than us that do have yeah. these. And they've had them like in place for 30 or 40 years or something yeah. and they update them regularly. So um, definitely a vision, you know, for our workforce, you know, picking a time frame that we can get, you know, common ground
2: on.
1: Is it, is it hard to have a vision for the workforce? You know, we often hear this statement of it's really, really difficult. You know, my, my children are nine and seven, two girls nine yeah. and seven. yeah. And it's really difficult to talk to them about what the future of work looks like because mm. their job may not have even been mm. created yet, yeah. right? So, when we have this vision about the future, you know, talking 20 in yeah. 30 years, yeah. wow, my brain yeah. can't even comprehend. Like, you know, yeah. if you look back 10 years ago, Uber, had, then it wasn't even around. All of a sudden, mm. Uber, Uber, it's just taken over the world. For sure. Uh, who, who actually goes to a restaurant anymore and yeah. picks up the food? I don't. I've, it's Uber Eats and Only. Yeah. That's the only way yeah. I, I work. So. Those sort of things is really interesting to me is we have this vision but yeah. we're, we're almost visioning something that we don't know exists or is that mm. just the way it's always been? Um,
0: well, you sort of touched on my pet hate because I cannot stand it when people say, we, you know, what are we training these people for? They're jobs that haven't even Correct, created yeah. yet. I cannot stand that statement because I feel like it's partly a cop-out and actually it's not true. We have got heaps of evidence and information about what that picture is looking like. Mm-hmm. But there's another side to this, right, and this came about when we were doing a project specifically in the defence sector and we were working with all these defence primes and we're like, okay, what's the defence work workforce? This is the supply side chain, yep. not um, defence forces, going to look like in five years' time. And, you know, people, yes, push back, resistance, something. well, if you don't know it, who bloody knows it, right? Yeah. So um, we went through this process to shape up what that would look like and in a way it was because they defined it, that they then work towards it and that's what they got, right? Mm -hmm. And similarly, we've done workforce plans for regional towns that have been on the lowest socioeconomic levels that you can imagine, like the worst unemployment, the worst language literacy and numeracy, no opportunity. But when you do bring stakeholders and people together um, to do that picture, it completely flips it. Now, economists will say, no, this is the trend and you can't change it. That is just simply not true. You can change it, but you have to get people around the table that are passionate, that are logical, that have some influence to actually make that picture. And, you know, you can make that picture quite concrete actually. Mm. So it's not out of your hands or out of your control at all. It's completely within your control.
1: So there's an element out of your control.
0: There's a little bit of an element out of your control. I mean, there might be other world but, factors. But that the majority
1: happen. is we kind of know. So yeah. just on that, then, do you believe that the gig economy is something that is going to be on 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 the rise? Yeah, for sure. Like
0: the the kind of you know portfolio of work that people have now, and that your kids are going to have. Like they're going to have a side hustle or a side business or a gig thing. They might be employed by somebody else as well. They might pursue a passion project too or, you know, contribute mm. through not-for-profit or social enterprise. Like the mix of things will yep. be more. Absolutely. So what does the big
1: corpse look like then? How do you – how, how? what does the CEO work on?
0: Got to be paid lots of money for that. But <laughs> yeah, no, well, that's talking. what
1: I'm saying. What does the CEO work on <laughs> when the majority of their staff are, are, um, are, 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 are gigging out? They're almost consulting to the company themselves. Is that yeah. what you're – or am I completely missing the mark here?
0: I think you're sort of combining two things because okay. you're sort of saying about corporates then, you know, people that are working for corporates, gigging for that corporate. I think that people will have a, a mix of roles that they're sort of playing in a mix of incomes. Oh, and partly it's because like a risk management thing yeah. really yeah, yeah, but yeah. also because you do want to pursue things. Now from a corporate point of view, um, you know, often you need to have more inside information about specific industry sectors mm-hmm. um, because some of the markets are really complex that you're sort of operating in and but if you don't have that vision then whatever happens happens right and you you are behind the back foot all the time and often in a large corporate like that like imagine the kind of insight that your people have got about what that picture should look like what your customers and clients have been asking for that they haven't got yet you know so often get the question oh where is this information going to come from or for example you know, what's going to keep these people at this company? What, what should we do to retain them? Ask them, ask them, ask yeah. them. You know, you have to. But, yeah, you've got to have that concrete picture. And if it's too fluffy or not defined enough, then people won't understand what they're working towards. It's got to be more collaborative these days. Like it's not just going to be something that comes down from up above. Yeah. yeah.
1: Communication is key, right?
0: Yeah. And you're going to get lots of ideas if you do a more collaborative approach from, mm. from people that you would never have uncovered normally.
1: Yeah. Brilliant. Just conscious of your time. We have gone sure. over slightly. There's a couple of one last question. Yeah. Are, are interested in this hashtag humble hustle. Is that yes. something that you're working on or working with at the moment? It is my personal hashtag. Yeah.
0: So I use it a fair bit in social media. And um that we touched on it before. Like there always is the hustle. Like you're yeah. always thinking about what's coming next, what's the next opportunity, or the project, or because of that future perspective, what's on the horizon. But um The humble side of it is really about that core belief that we touched on at the very beginning. This is not about you. You know, this is about supporting and helping other people. And you can have hustle but it can't be harsh and it can't be too sousy or too direct. It's Mm -hmm. got to have a humble angle to it. And there's been lots of examples over the years where humble hustle has played out. Like, for example, we had one when we had the Indonesian group, we were in this corporate training centre in the middle of Sydney and this one guy had a pet care, biggest pet care product company in Indonesia and we saw that, um what's the vet that does the shark tank judging? He was in the. Oh, pet barn.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: They were in the building on okay. the same floor yeah. in the sort of training room yeah. down yeah. the end. Yeah. So a humble hustle was when I knocked on their door, hey, you know, I know this is completely out of the blue, but we just wondered if we could introduce yeah, wow. this guy to you. Um and he met the head sales manager for the whole country or whatever and followed them so up. So yeah. you've got to take opportunity, but you've got to be polite, you know, you've got to use your manners. There's some old fashioned things in there, I yeah. think. You've got to be focused on the other person all the time.
1: I never understood the the the, the people who rose to the top who have uh almost torn every relationship in part on their way to the top. I, I never mm. understood how that even worked because yeah if there is something that I've learned is that people have very long memories right yeah. so treat people well uh, often give as much as you can and then mm. that'll always and you don't do it for the reason that it'll come back but you mm. you just know that it's just the way the universe works the more you yeah. give the more you receive right it's just the, the mm. Giving nature of the human being, yeah. So yeah, it always confused me.
0: I think it comes back to bite them eventually. Yeah. Like I think we've seen that with a number of
1: yeah sleeping people. Well, at least they're, they're probably sleeping with the one eye open all the time, isn't it? So.
0: Yeah, that have got themselves into trouble, even though it may have come out years later. You
1: know, absolutely. Yeah, right. Oh, we'll finish off with a few quick fire questions. Sure. We, okay. I've cool. got. A, I've had probably. Uh, I reckon. Twenty odd questions that I didn't ask. We'll have to come back for a round Ah, two. But the uh, the quick fire questions that we really is just uh, getting to know a little bit more about you and getting inside your brain, Something a bit quirky. Mm -hmm. But we are big readers. I did mention earlier, Synergy IQ, Creating Synergy Podcasts. uh, We're 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 big learners, big readers. What's one book that you're reading right now?
0: Um, it's got F in the title. What is it called? You
1: know, Um, is it Mark Manson's? how not to give a fuck. Yes, that, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm rereading yeah. it actually. I have it's read it It's actually really good. It's a really but good I'm
0: rereading it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, um, I'm a big fan of that book. Yeah, yeah. Because it's very straightforward. It's black and white. Yeah. No bullshit. Yeah. Straight to the point. For sure. I love it. Uh, what's one book that you feel, like let's talk about entrepreneurs in general.
2: Yeah.
1: What's one book that you would recommend to them mm-hmm. uh, or, or anyone starting off in business Yeah. as a foundational book.
2: Mhm.
0: Um Blue Ocean Strategy. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. for sure. So don't be in the red. Yeah. You know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. I Love that one. Do you listen to any other podcasts?
0: Not many normally, no. No, no. just this one, isn't it? Just yeah. this one. I
1: did. <laughs> if you can invite three people for dinner.
0: Oh, yeah. Who,
1: who would, would, would it be?
0: be? I really would like to invite Oprah. Because I do have a thing about maybe having a TV show or a series uh, or something like that. Um,
1: She's a remarkable. Yeah. Girl,
0: yeah. I think so. I think Oprah. I mean, I wouldn't mind Julia Gillard because she just lives down the road and, you Does know, she? so yeah. She's at Brighton. She, so she would be good. Oh, to, Brighton. I was going to say she To have as well. Um, and then um, I don't know who the third one would be. I'm thinking somebody that's sort of like. UK based, probably because I'm more I want to go there. <laughs> so oh, I'd really? have the excuse to to go across there. Um,
1: so the husband, your husband doesn't get the call up? Oh, I have dinner with
0: him every day. So I'm all good. I'm all good. Yeah. yeah. I can't think of the third one. Yeah.
1: That's fine. Yeah. Not a problem. What's the best advice that you've received?
0: The best advice uh, is to like ask for advice first. And um, I think some of this comes back to my parents as well. We, we have a family saying about having your back.
2: Mm.
0: So even though you might be in a tricky situation or what, with your partner, with whomever it might be, we don't then play it out or discuss it in public. You know, we always have each other's back and I do that for the team members and family members and they do mm. it for us.
1: Mm. I love that. It's brilliant. If you had access to a time machine... Yeah. You could go anywhere. Yeah. But only one trip. So forward, back.
0: Oh, I can't come back.
1: You can come back. Oh, okay. But you can only go to one destination.
0: So I could go forward, I could go back?
1: Wherever you want.
0: I mean, at first when you said that, I was thinking I'd go back to see Jane Austen times in mm. Bath in England. Mm. <laughs> so I love that you're yeah. right. But, I pro- you know, I probably would go to somewhere like 2050 just to sort of see what it's like and mm. whether or not the things that we think it's going to be like actually are. We
1: yeah. can get that vision right. That's it. <laughs> Sell the vision. <laughs> Come back and do workforce plans. we <laughs> back to the future. Let's
0: do a workforce plan for 2050? Yeah. Oh, no, we don't know what's happening? Yes, we
1: do. Yeah, yeah that sounds good. I, yeah. My answer to that is buy the almanac.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Make some money out of it too. Yeah. You could have an entrepreneurial spin on the bedding. Yeah,
1: yeah. absolutely. If you had one superhero power, yeah, what would it be?
0: Ah, oh, this came up the other day. I think invisibility cloak.
1: Oh, that's not a power; it's a cloak. I <laughs> know,
0: oh, but I'm, or to be invisible, oh, yeah, to,
1: be, to be, invisible. be invisible, then to really? be invisible. Yeah, find that a bit creepy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well it could be i guess but i was sort of thinking more about yeah i like that idea because yeah perhaps there is a little bit of a listening in or whatever but you know to see what really goes on in in some of the different circumstances of situation i'm thinking more work-wise yeah 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 yeah.
1: be a fly on the wall yes
0: that's right yeah
1: because it'd be hard to open a door in the middle of a meeting if yeah, you're... that's
0: right. Or maybe then you have, yeah, you're going to be able
2: to go the through the Man, you know.
1: Have you seen The Ant-Man? Yeah yeah. In a, yeah. yeah, sounds good.
0: But I just like that idea of, I don't know, seeing what's really going on. Because sometimes I think people have a public persona or they present things in a particular way. That's not really what's going on.
1: You know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. There'd be a few political conversations going on.
0: Yeah, and I have an interest in politics too, so I'd like to mm. suss out that, you know.
1: Is that the next steps? many
0: people have asked me over the years and I don't I I think it's um, too nasty that's probably why the main reason why I wouldn't do it yeah is I think it's too nasty and, and it attacks people's character and is is uh, harsh on their relationships and their family mm. but I wouldn't rule it out completely but it's a slim chance
1: yeah I don't see the reason for getting on TV as a politician getting yeah. on TV and bagging the other like yeah, when do we do that in business? We yeah. don't ever have a meeting with someone and then just bag every yeah. other business. The behavior just doesn't make sense. Bad. Yeah, it's so horrible. well,
0: not bad for everyone, but um, I wouldn't want to do that. Like I definitely would like to make a difference, you know, um, beyond business and industry. But I don't know if that's the right way to go.
1: So, so what is the next steps for Wendy Perry?
0: Yeah, um, definitely scaling up even my business even more. And you know, we work in about thirty different countries now, but I want to work in we want to work in more countries. And um, I I think um, where we'll be now with those labour and skill shortages, there's heaps over the years that we've learned about how to address those. So um, it used to be a bit of a push to get people to see that this was a real problem, but now the pain of it is quite, is becoming, you know, quite sharp. So um, I'd love to see Australia with a vision for their workforce and every industry sector with a plan and regions and towns comfortable that, you know, they know where they're going as well.
1: Sure, so we'll, I'll tag ScoMo in, in this. Oh, yes. Sh- I
0: don't know if he knows who I am, but, I mean, no. some of the other pollies do. Well, I, he knows who
1: I am. So yeah. no, I'm only joking. <laughs> uh, but it'd be good. it would be good because, yes, we do need some vision about where we're going with the future because it, it is a question that uh, all businesses are asking, right? You and I mm. work very similar industries in in, yeah. in, in, the, in the people and culture, HR, workforce planning world yeah. and um, the st- strategic world. So, yeah. Uh, it's a question hmm. that we get asked every single day. What is happening? Yeah.
0: Well, it, and also it can't be a political cycle based thing. You know what I mean? It can't just be like is in power. Yeah. It has to be a longer term every four term. years it changes. Yeah. yeah, it has to be a longer term picture.
1: I agree. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
0: It has to be what we want. Do you know what I mean? Like what's feasible, reasonable, but what we want, not what we just get given.
1: Agreed. Yeah. Well, that's the problem with politics.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're
1: almost told what yeah.
0: Told what to do, which wouldn't suit. Let's not go down that past yes. weekend
1: yet. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, it's been amazing having you on and hearing yeah. your, your insights. Thank yeah. you for all the work that you're doing too. Oh, I
0: appreciate it. Like I, I'm, I just love people, like light bulb moments and people, seeing people change their lives, particularly in relation to having their own business. Like um, that's what I want to see more people do. So yeah. I really appreciate the invitation. Thank and you. it's been uh, really insightful questions.
1: That's uh, good. So, thank you. Yeah, winged half of them. So that's great. Look, yeah. I, I feel like the work you are doing is much needed uh, in mm. this in this world today. So keep up the good mm. work, and kudos to you and the team. Norris, no thank you so Beautiful. much. Beautiful. Thank you, guys. We'll catch you next time. Thanks.
0: Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.